1: Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com.
2: Today we have the opportunity to hear from God's Word from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, "'Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, "'and I will take him away.' "'Jesus said to her, Mary.' "'She turned and said to him in Aramaic, "'Rabboni,' which means teacher. "'Jesus said to her, "'Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, "'but go to my brothers and say to them, "'I am ascending to my Father and your Father, "'to my God and your God.' Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of the first day of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, "'Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you.' And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, "'Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld.'" Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, "'We have seen the Lord.'" you may have life in his name. In 2016, there was an article entitled The Challenge of Easter that was uh, published in the Wall Street Journal. Here's how the article begins. When was the last time that you felt stressed out by Easter? So much Easter shopping to do, so many Easter cards to write, so many Easter gatherings to attend, not to mention the endless stream of Easter commercials on television and online, the nearly unavoidable Easter-themed movies, and all those tacky Easter sweaters that you're forced to wear every spring. And don't forget the travails of setting up the annual Easter tree and stringing Easter lights on your house. This, this is a joke, obviously. He's not, he's not talking about something that really happened. It says, every year you lament... How overly commercialized Easter's become. Can the holiday get any more money-oriented? You feel that way every year, don't you? Of course you don't. That's because Easter has stubbornly resisted the kind of commercialization, commodification, and general classification that long ago swallowed up the celebration of Christmas, at least in the U.S. And he asks this. So how has Easter, with some notable exceptions, like ever-expanding Easter baskets, maintained its relative religious purity? Mainly, I would say, because of its subversive, religious message. Christ is risen. That's quite a statement, says the author. And it's one that non-Christians can readily grasp, even if they don't believe it. Jesus of Nazareth, the man whose followers claim that he healed the sick, stilled storms, raised people from the dead, and made poor the center of his ministry, was crucified under the orders of Pontius Pilate, and died an agonizing death in Jerusalem. Then, as his followers believe myself included after three days in the tomb he rose from the dead just as the author says in that article this statement Christ is risen is a message that is simple to understand it's a simple story here in John chapter 20 it's simple for us to understand a simple narrative that tells us something utterly remarkable A story also that ends by telling us why it is that it was written. It is not difficult for us to understand the story contained here in John chapter 20. Jesus rose from the dead. That's the point of the narrative. Jesus rose from the dead. And that is what is utterly amazing. The narrative goes into the details about Jesus appearing to those who were the closest to him, who were the nearest to him. And because of the remarkable nature of the resurrection of the body, it's difficult for them to see and understand at first. Christ has to appear to them so that they might believe. And that's the point. The story was written so that we might believe in reading. And so what we're going to do right now is we're going to walk briefly through the story and then we're going to go from the, from the end to the very front Taking a look at the way that these various followers of Jesus reacted or responded to Jesus. Just like we did a week ago when we took a look at the way that the crowd and the people responded to Jesus as he came into Jerusalem. Today we see how his closest followers responded when they saw him again. So the story, again, the narrative, simple and yet remarkable. It begins that Mary Magdalene is the one that goes to the tomb. She finds that it's empty. And so she does what any normal person would do. She goes immediately to the twelve, to the closest disciples of Jesus, to tell them, the tomb is empty. He's gone. Upon hearing this, two of the disciples were told, run immediately to the tomb. It seems as though Peter is a little bit more out of shape, so he falls behind John. John gets there first, a little bit more physically fit. It's sort of like if Dan and I ran to the tomb, Dan would get there much quicker than I would because he is in much better shape than I am. I would be Peter in the course of this story. They get there, and they look in, and they see also that the tomb is empty. And we're told that that John believes, but then we're also told that they didn't understand what Jesus had been saying, that he had to rise again from the dead. The story continues on that, that Jesus then appears to Mary, to Mary Magdalene. She had been there with the disciples, and when they go back to tell of what they have seen, Mary remains at the tomb. And Jesus comes and and shows himself to her. She thinks at first that he's the gardener. But when he says her name, she realizes that it's Jesus. That it's her rabbi, her teacher. Then Jesus appears to the twelve, to his disciples. Well, to ten of the twelve. Thomas isn't there. Thomas doesn't have a chance to see him the disciples do at first they witness the resurrected Christ but Thomas doesn't believe it so eight days later Jesus needs to appear again to him to show him that he is in fact risen from the dead that he is in fact risen from the dead and then the passage ends by saying now this is written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God and by believing that you may have life in his name that's the purpose of this passage That's a simple enough narrative to understand, isn't it? And here's the remarkable claim. Christ is risen. That's the claim.
1: Today's message on Grounded and Growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. That's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself, and we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message.
2: And so let's walk back to take a look at the way that Christ's followers responded when they saw Jesus, the risen Lord, or heard that he had been been raised from the dead. First, let's take a look at Thomas. Thomas has the unfortunate name given to him, Doubting Thomas. That's a really unfortunate nickname, right? I'm thankful that my nickname thus far is not Doubting Derek, right? That would be a disappointing name for a minister to have. Doubting Thomas. And, but we need to be fair to him, right? I mean, the narrative here in John chapter 20 tells us that when Jesus appears to the disciples, he shows them all that he has been raised, that they have a chance to see the, the nails and see his side, so the disciples have the opportunity to, to bear witness to the risen Christ. It's much easier for them to believe, but Thomas didn't have a chance to see him, and Thomas is, is resolute in, uh, in his unbelief. He's like any person that wakes up on April 1st and says, any extraordinary claims on April Fool's Day, I'm going to have a hard time believing. I refuse to be made the fool, right? That's the way that Thomas responds. He doesn't believe. Not at first. But then Jesus appears to him. Jesus appears to Thomas and says, you said that you wouldn't believe unless you're able to put your fingers in the holes in my hands. Unless you're able to put your hand in my side, we'll do that. Stop disbelieving. And start believing, says Jesus to Thomas. And you notice something, something beautiful. When Thomas does see Jesus, he responds perfectly. He looks at him and he says, My Lord and my God. He sees and he believes. My Lord and my God, he says. He sees Jesus Christ risen from the dead and he makes two correct pronouncements. You are my Lord. You are the one who is king over my life and has control over who I am and you are God. He is slow to believe, yes. But when he sees the risen Christ, he knows him rightly and correctly. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord for that. This is a passage that I think can speak well to us this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't believe in Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't believe that Christ is risen from the dead. I want to tell you that even his closest followers had a hard time believing the remarkable nature of this claim. But I've got good news. Christ is risen. And this morning, in the preaching of the word, he makes himself known to us. And we have the opportunity to know him as Lord and as God. And if you're here this morning and you don't yet Trust in Jesus. I know that this is not the standard way that a sermon goes. I would like to pray for you. And so I'd like for us to pause right now in the middle of the sermon and pray together. Father, I want to pray for everyone here who finds it difficult to believe. We see the wonderful news this morning that Jesus rose from the dead was difficult even for Christ's closest followers, the ones that he had told that he would rise again from the dead to. So we acknowledge that this remarkable and beautiful truth is difficult for many of us today, and we want to pray for them. All who are here and all who woke up this morning without trust in Jesus, please reveal yourself to them. Please help all of those who doubt right now to see that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus is God. And please give to them the gift of faith. Amen. Second, the second thing that we're going to take a look at the way that people respond the disciples. Here's the way that the disciples respond. Here's the way that the passage tells us that the disciples respond. We're told, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. The disciples are glad. Now, this is the way it seems to me. And let me ask if it seems this way to you. Doesn't that sound like an understatement? Doesn't that sound like a little bit of an understatement? The disciples see Jesus Christ risen from the dead and the text tells us that they were glad. I, can, I just sort of imagine a disciple telling one of his non-disciple friends about it afterwards. Jesus came and appeared to us. You mean the one that was dead? Yeah, he came and appeared to us. You mean he rose again from the dead? Yeah, we were, uh, we were very glad about it. That <laughs> doesn't seem like enough, right? I was really glad I got to see him. I just think it, it seems like not enough. And yet, it is instructive for us. It is instructive about the way that the Christian life operates. The Christian life is a life of gladness. Because we have an indestructible hope. Jesus is alive. Therefore, the Christian life can be a life of gladness. Now, this isn't... This isn't like a cheap happiness or a cheap gladness. This isn't the sort of cheap smile that, that pastes over all of the difficulty of life. This is a deep and abiding gladness. This is a gladness that recognizes the challenge and trial of life under the sun that we live. This is a sort of gladness that acknowledges the sorrow that characterizes us all too often because of sin and death This is a gladness that looks in the face of sorrow and sadness and says, My Savior is still alive. This is a true gladness that springs from the bedrock truth that Christ is risen and is alive and is Lord and is God. That's the sort of truth that makes for a glad Christian life. Even in the midst of sorrow. And so today, Easter, is a day to be glad Let's be glad today. Let's be filled with gladness just as the disciples were. Let's be glad because Jesus is risen. And let's allow that gladness to characterize our life for those who live and trust in Jesus. Christ is alive. Therefore, in the midst of all of the hardship or pain that we might experience, we are still glad. That's the second reaction. Here's the third, Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb and she finds it empty and she makes a very reasonable assumption. Jesus isn't in the tomb, so perhaps the gardener or or someone else took him and moved him. And so she sees Jesus and this assumption that that if he's not there, that somebody must have moved him is so fundamental that she sees Jesus and assumes him to be somebody else. She assumes that he's the gardener. And so she says, if you've moved Jesus, can you just tell me where he is? So that I can move him back, so that we can know where he is. And Jesus looks at her and he speaks her name, Mary. Mary, he says to her. And when she hears her name spoken by her her Savior, she recognizes that it's him. And she responds, I think, in the most fitting of ways. How would you respond if you saw someone that you dearly and deeply loved? who you knew was dead, returned to you? Well, Mary gives him a hug. At least that's what I have to assume happens here, right? Because Jesus responds by saying, don't cling to me. So what's very likely happening, she's probably clinging to him. I think that's beautiful. She had so much affection for Jesus. Her affection for Jesus makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? She was one of the ones in the Gospels that was in the need of most spiritual help. The Gospel of Luke says that seven demons were driven from her, and the end part of Mark says that it was Jesus who drove those seven demons from her. She was someone, therefore, who was in deep spiritual need, and Jesus saved her from deep spiritual darkness and enabled her to live in the light. This morning, I want to confess to you that Jesus still saves from darkness. I'm guessing that there are still present here this morning, those who are caught or mired in spiritual darkness in one way or another, perhaps you're not possessed by a demon as Mary Magdalene had been, but maybe you're stuck in the grip of a sin. Jesus saves. To paraphrase one biblical teacher, if Jesus can defeat the darkness of death, there is no dark part of your heart that he cannot redeem. And so if you're here this morning and you're struggling mired in spiritual darkness or sin, I want to pray for you. Father, I pray for those who are stuck in spiritual darkness or sin right now. I pray that they might receive and know your salvation. I pray that all of us who are stuck in sin and darkness might run and cling to you by faith in repentance and trust. Forgive our sins, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Fourth, John believes. We're told that he looks into the tomb and he believes. This is the one person that seems to believe right away. He runs to the tomb and he believes. John refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. He's the one that wrote this portion of scripture. He never refers to himself by name. He never refers to himself by John. He never calls himself I in this passage. He refers to himself as the disciple who Jesus loves. And we're told that he gets to the tomb and he looks in and he sees that Jesus is gone and he believes. And at the end of the passage, we're told the call of this passage, that these things were written that you might believe as well. The final verse, the final two verses here make it clear what the purpose of this book, the gospel of John is. They make it clear what the point of this passage, John chapter 20 is. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and by believing that you may have life in his name. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is objectively of extraordinary importance. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the fulcrum upon which world history turns. And yet the resurrection of Jesus Christ has no subjective benefit for you unless you believe. And so I want to tell you the point of this gospel which was written and the point of this passage which is in front of us this morning is that you and I might believe that Jesus is the Christ. And so I want to conclude by speaking to you with force and clarity right now. This book and this passage within the book was written so that you might believe. And I want to call on you to believe in the name of Jesus Christ. And I want to call on you to believe in him and by believing have life in his name. This is the point of Easter, that Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, and that we are called, therefore, to put our faith and hope and trust in Jesus. Christ is risen, let's believe it together, and by believing, have life, resurrection life, in the name of our Savior and our Lord, Jesus. Amen. Well, now Eli is going to speak to us a little bit about how it is that we can respond to the gospel.
3: I just wanted to share a little story with you guys. And it's a story about believing in Jesus, as Derek is so passionately preaching about. So this last Monday in my hometown of Pella, Iowa, Third Reformed Church held the funeral of Kirk Corver. Maybe some of you guys have heard it on the news, but Kirk was my age, he was twenty seven years old, and he died of a rare genetic disease. And so this past Monday they held a funeral service. And I just have so much respect for the Corver family. They have four sons. All four of them played D1 basketball. The oldest son, Kyle Corver, is on the Cleveland Cavaliers. He's teammates with LeBron James. But they are a family that loves the Lord. And they are a, fam- are a family that believes in Jesus. And the funeral service itself is a powerful testimony to God's grace. It's on YouTube if you want to go check it out. But here are some things that were said. So the brothers went up and they shared their love for Kirk, but they also shared their love for Jesus. And Kyle went up, and when he was talking, he said this. He says, we say in our family all the time, how do you make it without Jesus? How do you make it without the hope that he gives? How do you make it without faith? Faith is real. We have faith. Kirk had faith. Those are some powerful words coming from an NBA player who experienced all the fame and all the celebrity status that that brings. And I want that question to sink in. How can you make it without Jesus? And after he was done, Kevin, the dad, who's the pastor of Third Reformed Church, he went up and spoke. And I'm kind of amazed he even had the, the confidence to do that with his, his 27-year-old son laying in the casket right in front of him. But he read from John 14, verse 6, Which says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then he went on to say, Jesus is the way. Jesus has made a way. He is the truth. And with his son laying right down in the front, he did this. He's like, there's only one person who was in heaven, came down to earth, died, rose from the dead, and ascended to heaven and he put his hand on the casket and he said, Kirky, you go with Jesus. And then he said, that's why being a Christian is such a big deal. And then he finished with saying, and our son is more alive right now than he's ever been in 27 years. And after he said that, the church exploded with applause. And I just want you guys to think about that faith that God has given them.